If you would, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. Last time in, in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, we saw that Paul had been praying. He'd been praying to God on behalf of the saints. He had been interceding for them. He'd been praying for the love of the saints at Philippi to, to grow in knowledge and discernment so that they could glorify God and learn to serve others. And what's interesting to me is as I looked at that prayer and then I look at where we're going today, I see what God did in His miracle of grace to illustrate this for us by giving us the testimony of the Apostle Paul here. Our text today illustrates what he was calling for in 9-11 through 11 practically. Paul shows us that the knowledge of God's love will enable us to rejoice in every circumstance and even use our trials to encourage the saints and evangelize the lost. The love of God transformed the Apostle Paul's perspective in every circumstance. That's what he's praying will happen in the church at Philippi. And then he gives us an illustration of that here in Philippians 1.12. It's here that we find that the Apostle Paul is in prison. And he is in prison rejoicing in God's providence, which is sort of an irony. He's there because God wanted him there. And he's not able to do the things he would like to do if he wasn't there. He would like to be planting churches, going throughout communities, evangelizing the lost. But at the same time, Paul, Paul knows something about the love of God. It has a purpose for him there. God's providence placed him there for a purpose. Paul declares in this passage that we're going to read this morning that he will rejoice even in the midst of the the most difficult circumstances. He's, he's writing this to encourage the saints there at Philippi because they're going to face difficult circumstances. And, and they were concerned about the Apostle Paul. That's why they sent Epaphroditus. They sent him this messenger to find out how he was doing, and they found out that he was in prison. And so Paul now responds to their concern in 12 through 18. In response to their concerns, Paul reveals his circumstance and his confidence here. They, they were concerned. If you think about this, they should be concerned. I mean, this is the great man of God, the great church planter, now confined in Rome to a prison. They were concerned that this predicament he was in would stop his mission. They were concerned that this imprisonment would confine the gospel. And logically, that does make sense. I mean, humanly, that makes sense. The great missionary, the great preacher of the gospel is no longer able to go into the world and do the work of an evangelist. He's confined. But in verses 12 and 13, Paul tells them not to worry. He tells them that he is not overcome by this predicament or this imprisonment. He tells them that because he knew that his circumstances, whether good or bad, were ordained by God. The knowledge of God's love for him sustained him in the midst of this difficult circumstance. God had not abandoned him to prison as punishment. He had placed him there providentially for a purpose. Paul knew that what God revealed in Philippians 1.6 was true in his present trial also. Look at what it says in 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was assured of this. He was confident of this, that God was going to complete the work that he had given to him 
even through this circumstance. Aren't you glad to know that God promises you, just like the Philippians, that he will complete this work in you no matter what circumstance you're going through presently? He will complete the work of bringing others to know Christ through your circumstances even, as we see happens here with Paul. Paul was confident that the work of God that was started, that began in him, would be completed. It would be completed even if his present circumstance didn't look like it was going to be. He knew, because he knew the love of God, he had knowledge that gave him discernment. He had this knowledge that transformed his thinking and his actions because he knew that if God loved him and called him for a purpose, God would have a greater plan even in this circumstance than he could ever imagine. He would use this difficulty to advance the gospel. How would he do it? Paul wasn't quite sure at the moment, but he began to see it happening. And so he's assuring this church that even though you don't see God working behind the scenes, God is behind the scenes at work, even in your difficult circumstances. That's why when I, when I come to this passage, I, I, I'm a little bit torn. It, it looks like it's simply a response to the Philippians, 12 through 18. It looks like a response. Looks, he's simply corresponding back and forth, and he's just telling them, hey, calm down, it's okay. God's working all this out for our good and his glory. But I think there's more going on than a response to the Philippians here. I think this is doxology. I think this is a response to God. I think this is a praise to God. He responds here with confident praise in the midst of this difficult trial because he knows something about God. He has gnosis. He has epignosis, not just knowledge. He has experiential knowledge of God's love and God's promises to complete the work in him even through this difficult circumstance. He knows that God has a plan for this. That's what he's confident in. That's why he's rejoicing here. In this, he rejoices. God is in control. In this, I rejoice. That's what he's going to say when we read this passage. And, and that's a comfort to the Philippians. That's a comfort to us, I hope, too. God is in control of our circumstances. God has a plan for the trials that you're facing right now. He hasn't abandoned you. He is with you. He is working behind the scenes and in the, the background of everything to accomplish His will. Now, in the midst of that promise, we still have human frailty and difficulty when we face trials. We know that. And, and really, nothing short of sin should ever discourage us, even in the midst of the harshest of, of circumstances. Nothing should steal our joy but sin. But we know sometimes when we're in the middle of a, a tragic circumstance, we're in the middle of an illness, or we're in the middle of a, a trial, or an attack, or a broken relationship, we feel like our joy is being robbed from us. And the only way we're going to overcome that is to come back to the promises of God revealed in the Scriptures. We need to keep our minds fixed in the midst of difficulties on the promises of God on the promises of God that are given to us in Christ. He loves us. He promises to never leave us. Difficulties have a divine purpose. First Peter reminds us of that. Turn with me there. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3 verse 13. 13 to 17 reminds us of the promises of God. Reminds us that trials are part of his plan. For the believer, it reminds us that God doesn't waste our trials. God ordains them. 
God ordains our trials for our good, for purification, to make us rely upon Him, and not only for our good, it's also for the good of those around us who are observing us as we go through difficult situations. And it's not only for that reason. Our trials are ordained to bring glory to God as we respond. It testifies to our trust in Him and His goodness in the midst of the difficulties. That's what we see even happening here. When, when Peter writes, he's writing here to a group of people who are going to go through persecution for their faith. They're standing firm in the faith. They're going to stand up for what is right and they will be persecuted by those around them. People around them will see them and observe that their life is different than the world around them and they will have questions about this. They are observing this and so it's for the good of the loss that they are suffering. Because look what it says here in 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. It means highly privileged. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. The way these people are responding to God's commands and God's direction is making them stand out in the world around them. And the world around them, though they may revile them, maybe they hate them, maybe they can't stand them, they cannot get around seeing something different in them. And they come to them and say, why do you still have hope when you are being mistreated? When life is not good, how can you keep going? They say, well, we can keep going because of Christ. He is Lord of our life. He is our Master, our Redeemer. He who began the good work in us will complete it. He has not left us, though it looks like that from the outside. Internally, we have a peace that surpasses human understanding because we know that our God reigns, even over trials. Just think about this for a minute as you reflect on the trials you're facing right now and the difficulties you go through daily. The difficulties you go through as a witness for Christ in particular. Are you rejoicing over them? It's not easy to do. But Paul's telling us if we have our minds set on the truth, the knowledge of God's love, we will discern how to respond to these circumstances. We can rejoice because there's a greater plan being orchestrated through our trials than what we could ever imagine. If we're suffering faithfully following Christ, we may be leading others to Christ in the midst of the suffering. So often we, we think about our immediate suffering as it's all about us. But if God has placed us in this position to suffer for His namesake, it's about Christ. And it's about exalting Christ as we go through these circumstances because we don't know who is watching. And when we go through suffering, one of the things that happens to us, it burns off the dross of self-reliance and it causes us to cling to Christ, to call upon God for strength. And God is well pleased with that. So God's watching. And Peter and Paul tell us others are watching also. That knowledge affected the Apostle Paul in Philippians. 
And I pray that that, that knowledge will affect you the same way and me the same way. I, I pray that it will affect us in a way that we will rejoice in God's providence when we go through difficulties. Look with me back in Philippians 1 so we can read the text together this morning and begin. Philippians 1.12. In Philippians 1.12, let me just kind of give you a little thought to kind of store away. What we see going on here is, is we see Paul's theology moving him to doxology in the midst of difficulty. that easy to remember? His theology moves him to doxology in the midst of difficulty. His understanding of God causes his heart to rejoice in the midst of trials. The more we know of God's love, God's grace, God's power, God's providential means of reaching the lost, the more we can rejoice in our circumstances. That's what we see going on here in this text. Let me read the text. Philippians 1.12, and this is the word of God to you this morning. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You don't get that kind of joy without deep knowledge of God's love and theology. This joy comes from knowing God. He even knows that God will overcome those who have evil intentions, sinful pretense. He's not even concerned. He's concerned about theology, but he's not concerned about motives at this point. He's concerned that God is being glorified through the proclamation of Christ. And God will even use our enemies to do that sometimes. We'll see that even in our text this morning. He even uses the imperial guards, the praetorian soldiers, to be willing and unwilling evangelists in the household of Caesar. In this text, we notice that Paul was joyful in the midst of his trials because he knew that God was providentially, number one, removing obstacles. Removing obstacles through Paul's predicament. And number two, he knew that God was providentially reaching sinners. Reaching sinners through Paul's imprisonment. The very things that the Philippians were concerned about, Paul says, God is using these things to advance the gospel. Rejoice! Do not fear. God's sovereign over my circumstance. And He's sovereign over yours as well. Paul was joyfully confident in this book. He's joyfully confident and he's continually pointing us to the joyful confidence of Christ. The joyful, self-sacrificial love of Christ is exemplified in Paul's willingness to suffer on behalf of the gospel and for others. And he wants that to be the testimony of the Philippians, and I want that to be our testimony too. 
First thing we see in verse 12 is that Paul was joyfully confident in the midst of his trials because, number one, he knew that God was providentially removing obstacles through this predicament. God was removing obstacles for others through Paul's immediate predicament. And he says, this, this produces joy in me because God is even using my trial to comfort others, to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul's doing here is he's, he's reacting like Jesus, is he not? He's considering others as more important than himself for the sake of their souls and the glory of God. This is an amazing testimony to the gospel at work in Paul's life. Don't you want this to be your testimony? When you, when you face difficulties, don't you want to be able to say this? Oh, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happening to me is really happening to serve others, to serve for the advance of the gospel. It's advancing the gospel. This is how Paul reacted to this providential predicament that he was placed in by God. He says that this has really happened to advance the gospel. And isn't that what happened with Christ on the cross? What a predicament that was. What a providential predicament that was. But for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured suffering on behalf of those many he would bring to salvation to advance the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying he realizes as he's going through suffering. There is, there is a divine hand of God working in this. He, he is joyfully persevering here. And just think about that. Do, you, do we, okay, oftentimes we think of perseverance as gutting it out, that's not perseverance. Perseverance is reliance and trust on God in the midst of difficulties. And, and Paul is joyfully persevering, joyfully trusting in God's providence in this predicament. He's joyfully seeing his circumstances from God's perspective rather than his own perspective. He's joyfully persevering because he knows that this predicament will be used by God who called him to be an evangelist a missionary, an ambassador. God who called him will do the work he called him to do through whatever circumstances he places him in. Do you, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that's true in Paul's life? If it's true in Paul's life, it's also true in your life. You've been called to be an ambassador. And if you believe that, then whatever immediate trial you're facing right now will be used for the advance of the gospel, if you can see it from that perspective, if you can understand that your perseverance may be leading others to see the power of the gospel at work in your life, and therefore you can turn that situation around and give it back to God and trust Him in it to use it to bring praise to His name, to show people the grace that perseveres in you can be theirs also. God is, God is using the predicament here in Paul's life to remove a, a very particular object for the Philippians. Just imagine living in this time period and being arrested by, by the Roman soldiers, being placed into prison by Roman soldiers. There was difficulty involved in this. There was estrangement from family and friends. 
no way to interact with those that you love. It seems like it would be just a desperate situation, and, and, and they're not sure that they want to give up their comforts there at Philippi for the sake of maybe the gospel and facing prison like Paul. So Paul's saying, take heart. Let me remove, let me remove the stumbling block of fear. God is at work. God will advance the ministry even through this difficulty. In Philippians 1.12, that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's assuring them that God placed him in this predicament to advance the kingdom. That word advance there, that word advance means to make headway. To make headway is what it says for the gospel. To Forge ahead, it means to clear a path of obstacles. It's a military term. He's, he's speaking in military terms throughout this book. It's to cut a path. Paul knows that he was chosen to cut a path for others to follow, knowing that God will use even difficulties to bring people to the knowledge of Christ. One, one thing we need to take away from the book of Philippians is the gospel is absolutely unstoppable. Nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing. What God has decreed will come to pass, and He will use His messengers to make it happen. That's what we see happening here. Go with me to 2 Timothy. We can see that Paul understood this because he, he experienced it often. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I... I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But, but, look, I'm, I'm cutting this path and I'm going through the difficult part of it, but the Word of God is not bound. I'm in chains. I am being treated like a criminal. I am suffering, but the Gospel is abounding. Verse 10 says, Therefore, because I know this, because I know that the gospel cannot be hindered by my difficult situation or my circumstance, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul, Paul had an eternal perspective of his circumstance, this predicament. He knew that what looked like defeat was actually opening the doors for the gospel to go places it would never go apart from this trial. He's saying, when he says this in verse 10 in, in Timothy there, he, he's doing everything for the sake of the elect. I mean, they were elect, but they weren't at that point saved. He's saying, I'm going through this suffering and the gospel is being proclaimed because there are people that are yet to be saved and they will be saved as a result of my difficult predicament. The knowledge moved the Apostle Paul to action here. He didn't just trust that God's going to choose who He's going to choose. He goes out and preaches and proclaims and follows the commandments of Christ. And he faces suffering for it. His knowledge of God's love, God's sovereignty, both move together and push him out into exceptional service. Joyful, sacrificial service. And that, that same truth should do the same thing in us. We, we should be able to joyfully and confidently see every predicament as an opportunity to remove obstacles so that other people can come to know the gospel or learn how to proclaim the gospel through our trials. We should be encouragers of others as we face difficulties. We should be taking them back to the hope that we have in the midst of our trials that God is in control. Be encouraged. 
Keep preaching the truth. Have no fear. The gospel is unstoppable. Paul knew this. And it, and it moved Paul. It, it transformed everything about Paul's thinking and his actions. He didn't just have good theology. He had good orthopraxy. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. He lived out what he knew. He, he even saw his predicament as something that God gave him as a gift. He saw that he was not just a prisoner of Rome, he was a prisoner for Christ. And what's interesting in verse 13 of Philippians is when he says he's a prisoner for Christ, it doesn't say he's a prisoner of Christ. He's a prisoner for Christ. He is in this imprisonment for Jesus, for his namesake. Look with me back in Philippians, Philippians 1, 13. Here we see that Paul knew that in the midst of this trial that God was providentially, secondly, reaching sinners through this imprisonment. God was reaching people here who needed the gospel. He is reaching people who need the gospel through Paul's immediate discomfort. I think, I'm going to speak for me, I needed this perspective today. I need this perspective every day. I, I'm all too often consumed with my own comfort and not the lost condition of people around me. Paul was not consumed with his comfort. He was consumed with exalting Christ and reaching the lost. So much so that he saw that his immediate discomfort was something God ordained for his good to make him a better evangelist. Look how he reacts to this providential imprisonment in verse 13. He says that he's there serving to advance the gospel, and he says in verse 13, so that it has become known, this gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial or praetorian guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. His, his situation, his predicament, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout Rome that he is there for Christ. That's amazing. He, he's reacting with joy to this difficult situation. He's reacting with joy to imprisonment because he knows that God's providence placed him there. God is using his imprisonment. And here's the great part of it. God's using Paul's imprisonment for Christ to reach those who are imprisoned by sin. Paul has the key to set the prisoners free. He goes as a prisoner for Christ into a prison for preaching Christ so that he could reach those who are imprisoned by sin and need Christ and could not come to Him on their own. Nor would they come on their own. They were unwilling and incapable of coming to Christ on their own. And yet God places Paul there providentially. He providentially sends the Apostle Paul to those who could not come to Christ without God's sovereign grace. Isn't that an amazing picture of how He saved you? He, he sent you a messenger. He sent you someone to preach Christ to you when you were imprisoned. And that person, if you will, was chained to you for a time, willing to give up his own or her own comforts for your sake so that you would know Christ. That was God's sovereign grace that sent Paul there, and it's God's sovereign grace that changed you to others around you today. The sovereign grace changed the Apostle Paul's thinking. 
It changed the way he thought about his circumstance. Paul's, Paul's chains, if you, if you read this correctly, read through this whole scripture, he, his chains caused him to rejoice in God's providence. And his chains gave him boldness. You know, he had nothing to lose. He is there. He is there and he is, he is strapped to unbelievers. They're going to hear the gospel. What are they going to do? Throw him in jail if he keeps preaching it? He's there. He's rejoicing in this. God has made it possible for me to go to people who would never come to hear me preach. He placed me here to advance the gospel. Think, think about his predicament here. Think about his predicament in God's providence. Paul was imprisoned in Rome two years under house arrest, chained to a differing guard all the time. There was a constant change of guard. These men had to come every day, put a chain on themselves, connect it to Paul, go into this house, and endure the preacher. And God knew that these men needed this. God knew that these men needed Jesus. And so God chains them to the wrist of the great Apostle Paul for two years. You talk about sovereign, irresistible grace. That's it. They weren't looking. They didn't decide to follow Jesus. God put them in that prison with him. He chained the preacher to them. And Paul took full advantage of this. He was thankful for this. He rejoiced in this. He saw his perspective, his perspective change. It wasn't just a human perspective of, woe is me, I'm, I'm suffering. This is difficult. It stinks to be locked in a prison like that for two years. No privacy. Imagine somebody following you around all the time. Listening, watching, observing, irritating you. But rather than take that perspective, he saw this as an amazing grace. He could now reach the lost. He couldn't go to Philippi, but he could stand in that house and preach Christ. Because he was chained to the lost. How do you view God's providential chain? How do you view those that God has chained you to that are irritating, that are lost? Do you see them as a providential blessing or a burden? I think, I think Paul's telling us that if you have eyes to see, if you want to exalt Christ and exalt in Christ, you can see your difficult situation from this perspective. God placed you here to serve Him and to care for those who need Him. I, just, I find this, this, this whole account of Him being locked in prison with these men for two years absolutely phenomenal. I, I'm just trying to, I try to imagine these pagan, idolatrous guards chained to Paul every day. I mean, think about what a day with Paul was like. In this account, we'll, go, we'll look at this account in a moment, but I know this much. Paul continually preached Christ, but every visitor he had, he spent time with them teaching doctrine to them. He spent time displaying compassion for them. He spent time praying to God on behalf of others. Daily he did this. These, these guards couldn't escape the evidence of God's sovereign grace and mercy. It was exemplified in the man, Paul, who stood before them. Even though Paul was, I know, again, uncomfortable here, physically speaking, 
he knew that God's love placed him here for a very specific reason. And, and that overarching reason thrilled him. It thrilled him that God would use a wretch like me to reach the lost and proclaim grace. So every conversation, I could just see Paul talking to his brothers and sisters and encouraging them in the faith. And he looks to his right and he sees the, the Roman soldier and he says, and it's by grace that you've been saved through faith in Christ. Right? Right? And that soldier's over there going, hmm. And could you imagine the soldiers as they go back to their barracks? They go back to their barracks. They become unwilling evangelists. They can't help but talk about this guy. Paul is, Paul is an anomaly. He's, he's strange. He's not a criminal. But he's being treated like a criminal. But he's preaching about grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And they come back and they have these discussions. You have to understand something. The imperial guard, the praetorian guard, these were elite Roman soldiers. These weren't dummies. These weren't just infantrymen. These were special guards. They were intelligent. They were dedicated. They were disciplined men. They had been given specific charges to fulfill. Their, their main task was to protect the emperor. That's why they were stationed throughout Rome. They were stationed there to protect him and keep peace in that region. They were elite. They were prestigious. They were intelligent. And they were lost. And there would have been no way for Paul, the Jew, to walk into the Praetorian barracks and say, I want to talk to you about Christ today. I believe you're all sinners and worshiping pagan gods. Repent and believe. But instead of that happening, God places Paul in a situation that makes the Praetorians hear the gospel message. They hear it over and over and over for two years. And I believe God did this for a very specific reason. One, to exalt His name. To show that He is sovereign over every situation. And two, to save the lost people in Caesar's household. And to encourage the saints there in Philippi and at Rome. As a result of encountering Paul, we know that many of these men were saved. Let's just look for just a moment at what, what his imprisonment looked like, okay? We have an account of this, actually, in the book of Acts. Go with me to Acts 28. Acts 28, verse 16. This is what the imprisonment was like. And this is what the, this is what the praetorian or the imperial guards had to endure when they were chained to Paul. They had to endure this kind of ministry, Continually. Verse 16 says, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Just a... Just a Stopping point for just a second here. What a divine irony this is. 
the Jews who hate Gentiles are responsible for sending Paul to preach to the Gentiles in Rome. What a great picture of God's providence, God's sovereignty, even over sinful men like the Jews in this case. Verse 21 says, And they respond to him. They said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. So now when they had appointed a certain day, these Jews in Rome, they came to Paul's dwelling places, rented house. And it says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. You talk about a long expositional sermon. Morning till evening. You guys get off really easy here. All right? He preached morning to evening, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved. You know what's amazing here is the pagans around him, these, these guards that are hearing this, they would have never known this story. They would have never known from Moses to the prophets how the gospel was everywhere in the Old Testament. They would have never known this, but God placed them there to give them theology and evangelism. Verse 25 says, And disagreeing among themselves, the Jews disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Don't you imagine the day that sermon was preached? That that, that soldier who was sitting by Paul that day took notice of verse 28? They will listen. They, that's me. And it was true. Many of these men, through this providential imprisonment, came to faith in Christ. It's just amazing to me to think about how God's providence works at times. In God's providence, the hardest place to reach in the world at that time was now being infiltrated by a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The predicament and this imprisonment of Paul it led to the infiltration and regeneration of Roman soldiers. And again, would ultimately reach into the household of Caesar himself. Look what it says in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 22. We know by the time he wrote the letter that this good work and this providential imprisonment was already bringing forth fruit. All the saints greet you. That's all those who are called in Christ. All the elect. All those who are chosen by God from before the foundation of the world and have given 
evidence to that. All those people greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Just imagine this. The Praetorian Guard, who is charged with guarding the emperor and his household, were most likely used to bring the gospel to them. Imagine the emperor's household hearing the gospel from a soldier who heard it from a prisoner. A prisoner for Christ. There is is no way to stop the power of the gospel. God's providential will will come to pass through His means, which in this case was imprisonment and suffering. I mean, just think about this. Isn't, Isn't this comforting to know? It's supposed to comfort the Philippians. It's supposed to comfort us. God's God's providence and His sovereignty should just overwhelm and amaze us. He chooses to use us in the midst of this to declare His glory and carry us through so that others will see it is Him at work in us. Just think about it. God is using you and your difficult circumstance, your imprisonments, your trials, your difficulties, your predicaments. He is using that for a very divine purpose, but you must step back and realize it from Scripture that you have to see this as an opportunity to exalt Christ in the midst of this and see how He may be using it for the sake of others. I know there are people here in this church who have went through great trials, trials that I cannot comprehend Trials that I couldn't even come near to sympathizing with. And I know that in the midst of those trials, there have been other people observing them who have been encouraged by them, have been moved by them, even saved as a result of the witness of Christ in them because of this trial that God put them in. The trial is not punishment. It wasn't Paul's punishment. It was God's way of advancing the gospel and showing that nothing can stop this. Not life, not death, not enemies. Christ will be proclaimed. The gospel is unstoppable. And yet at the same time, it's something we're responsible for. We're responsible to proclaim it. We, we see that pointed out even in the text that we've read through Philippians so far. If you will, go back with me to Philippians 1. Let me point out that in Philippians 1, Paul gives us his view of God's sovereignty very clearly. And he also gives us his view of man's responsibility very clearly. We saw that in verse 6 of chapter 1. Here, Paul reminds us that that God's purposes will be completed in the saints. God started it, God completes it. It's monergistic. It's all of God, all of grace. Okay, He reminds them of that. God's purposes will be completed. But then he turns around in verses 9-11 through and he begins to pray. He's praying now for the very purpose that he said will be completed. He's praying for that purpose to dominate their minds and move them to action. Grow in the knowledge and grow in discernment. Applying the knowledge. So he's he's rejoicing in God's sovereign power and then he's also praying that we will apply that to our minds and our actions. He knows that providentially God ordains prayer. And he also knows that God is the one who gives us the desires of our hearts so that we can see His glory manifest on earth. We can see that glory manifest in every circumstance because we know that He places us here providentially 
to proclaim the gospel. Every circumstance is an opportunity to testify to God's sovereignty, His grace, and His mercy. Every circumstance we face is not as bad as what we deserve. Every difficulty we face, every trial we go through, is not as difficult as what we deserve. We can always look at what we deserve and rejoice in our difficulties. Because even though our difficulties are hard at times, and even mind-boggling at times, even, even more than I can comprehend at times, even that, I, in that, I know that God promises to never leave me, and that one day that, that difficulty will cease. And I will be with Him eternally. It's temporal. For the unbeliever, it is not temporal, it is eternal difficulty they face. We have the promises of God to comfort us in the midst of the difficulties. That's what Paul knew. And Paul wanted to take advantage of everything God gave him. If God gave him difficulty, he was going to use it. If God gave him prosperity, he was going to use it. Right? That's what he says at the end of Philippians. Whatever situation he's in, he's going to keep on doing whatever it takes to glorify Christ. Paul had a deep passion to do that. He knew that God was calling him to do that. Matter of fact, when Paul is called on the road to Damascus... He is told of how many things he's going to suffer for Christ's sake. Then he's also told, go preach. God's sovereignty, your responsibility. God's sovereignly going to control the situation. You're going to suffer for his sake, yet you keep on preaching the gospel because that is my plan for you. That plan drove down deep into Paul's heart a conviction to continue on in the face of opposition. It was Paul's greatest desire and his prayer to preach the gospel to the lost, where, where people have never heard the truth. That's what we see in Romans. Go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 9. In Romans 1, 9 through 15, Paul tells us this, this desire he had drove him to do great things for the kingdom of God. Paul's prayer and desire was to someday go to Rome. And preach the gospel. Look, look what it says. This is, this is how you see sovereignty and responsibility. He, he knew that God had a sovereign plan for his life to be a preacher to the lost. And also, he had this desire in his heart to be that preacher for the lost. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we, that we may mutually encourage, be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul's prayer and Paul's desire was to go there and preach the gospel so that Christ would be glorified throughout the earth. He'd be glorified through the edification of saints and the evangelization of the lost. And even though the circumstances that brought him to Rome weren't ideal, Paul recognizes this is God's hand. I rejoice in this. It is not easy 
but it is a comfort to know that God placed you in this circumstance. He has not abandoned you. He will use this circumstance to glorify his name and testify to his persevering power in your life. Paul never complained. Now that's, that's not human. <laughs> right? He didn't complain. He rejoiced. It wasn't because he was a super saint. No, he had what you and I have. He had the revelation of God's love before him. That filled his heart and his mind and changed his actions. We see that in Philippians 1.13. That Praetorian guard, Caesar's household, those who would persecute him, those who would hold him in bonds, were now hearing the gospel of Christ and being set free from their bonds. His imprisonment was turning out to be for the greater progress of the gospel in Rome than he could have ever imagined or even planned on his own. Nowhere in Romans 1 does he say, I hope to go to Caesar's household. Nowhere in Romans 1 does he say, I I really think that my mission is to go to the Praetorian Guard and preach the gospel to them. But that was God's mission. But the means of getting there was not what Paul would have chosen, and neither would we. But God had a purpose in this. And that just helps me to remember that when I go through trials, when you go through trials, God is still in control. The trials are ordained by God to cause us to trust in Him and then see things from His perspective and reach out to others in the midst of this. The the, the constant theme throughout the book of Philippians, as I I begin to study this book more and more, I I begin to see is this. It's this self-sacrificial joy. There's a a theme of self-sacrificial joy running throughout the whole book. It's pointing us to Jesus through the Apostle Paul's experience. What you see happening with Paul in Philippians 1, 12, and 13 is a picture of Christ's work in him. He's exemplifying Christ. I mean, he's not wearing a, a, a WWJD bracelet saying, what would Jesus do? No, he has the knowledge of God's love in his heart. He is filled with knowledge and love for Christ. That constrains him. That's what Corinthians says. The love of Christ constrains me. It directs me in the midst of this difficulty. Whenever you see Paul doing exceptional things in the book of Philippians or any other epistle, you need to be immediately drawn to the greater sufferer, the Lord Jesus. Paul's Paul's confidence here, his reaction to this providential predicament, his imprisonment, he's reacting like one who is much more faithful than he. It should be pointing us to Christ. It should remind us of the faithful servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus faced a harsher predicament, a harsher imprisonment, and he faced it with an even greater confidence in God's providence. Jesus' providential suffering, I think, is the source of Paul's perseverance. He looks at Jesus and what Jesus went through under the hand of his Father and recognizes in that we see love. Love for the lost. Love for the saints. Through the death of God the Son. So I think Paul, in his mind, he, he, he's thinking, he's processing, he's thinking, okay, um, through Jesus' suffering... 
I receive salvation. Others receive encouragement. God receives praise for providing such a perfect sacrifice for sinners. I think that transforms the way Paul sees his suffering. He's not concerned about his comfort anymore. He's concerned about exalting Christ who saved him and promised to keep him. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 53. If you look at Isaiah 53, 7 through 11, you can see how the greater servant reacted to God's providence. You can see how the greater servant reacted to this providential predicament he was placed in by God the Father. You can see how the greater servant responds to his providential imprisonment by his Father on our behalf. This, this changes Paul's perspective about his suffering. Isaiah 53, 7 says this. This is the response of the true and faithful servant who advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There was not a complaint in Christ. There was not a complaint in his mouth. He went to suffer as our sacrifice, willfully. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, he was innocent. Yet, this is, the, this is the passage that just, I think, overwhelms the Apostle Paul. It should overwhelm us. You talk about providential predicaments. Providential imprisonments on behalf of others. This is the height of it. Yet, it was the will of the Lord, God the Father, to crush Him, God the Son. He put Him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. The Apostle Paul understood this text. He understood that though suffering may come, when it is by the hand of God, it has a divine and glorious purpose in it that is beyond our comprehension. The suffering of God the Son on our behalf allows us to be guilt-free, to be at one with God, to have reconciliation to have the righteousness of Christ laid to our account. So, so to dissolve the, the idea that his suffering is something that is bad happening to him, he comes back to these truths in his mind. God caused his son to suffer so that I would receive salvation. God is sovereign over suffering. We need to understand that. If he wasn't, we would have no hope. But in Christ, we see there's hope 
God was causing His Son to suffer to save many for our good, for His glory. Jesus' trials should give us confidence. It should give us confidence that God's love ordains trials. He ordains trials for our good and also for the good of others. He did that with Christ. God knows that we forget this. God knows in the midst of difficulties it's hard to remember this truth and we are weak and prone to sin in the flesh. He knows in the midst of difficulties, trials, cancer, broken relationships, He knows that we feel like He's not there. That's why He's given us His revelation, His Word. So we have knowledge of His promises. Sometimes though we, we neglect His Word, so we feel abandoned. We feel imprisoned. We feel bound by the trials. We feel like we're stuck in this, and it's going to be this way forever. But when we can come back and look at what God has shown us in Christ, we can remember that His love will, will persevere through us and use these trials to glorify His name and for our good. That will help us to discern that there is a purpose in our suffering. Jesus did not suffer in vain. God will not waste our suffering. He will use it to glorify His name and to do good to His people. We must believe that because that is a promise from God. Romans 8, 28, and 29. It's also revealed to us in 1 Peter. Go back there with me and we'll end on this note. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then he says this, Live Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When? Mindful of God. Remembering the promises of God. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says, he says this is a gracious thing. This is a, a grace thing. This is a gift from God. When you can recall the love of God in the midst of these sorrows, when you suffer unjustly. He says in verse 20, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But... If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Verse 21, 
He says that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That doesn't mean atoning steps. That doesn't mean you're dying to save anyone through your suffering. What that means is what Jesus did in entrusting his life to God the Father, you can do also. Jesus trusted that God the Father had a divine purpose for his suffering and would carry him through to the end, and so can we. We can believe that. We can follow that example. We can follow God from the heart and trust in him. That brings him glory. Our suffering, the purpose of our suffering then, is to display our trust in God. The test of your trust in God usually shows up when you suffer. What do you turn to? Do you turn to the world, the relief of medication, the relief of drugs, or do you turn to God? Do you turn to the sovereign one who has a divine purpose for your life and your suffering? Do you turn to him and say, God, show me how to trust you in the midst of this difficulty. Show me how to preach Christ in the midst of this so that my suffering will advance the gospel, so that my life will not be wasted in complaining for my comfort, that my life will be given to point to Christ and His suffering, which was greater, and it accomplished my salvation. Our suffering should cause us to turn to Him. It should cause us to rely on Him. And when it does, that is when our suffering begins to conform us to the image of His Son. That's what Romans 8, 28 is all about. We are going through whatever we go through as God's children to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ trusted God completely to direct His affairs, to carry Him through to the end. We need to believe that. That's a promise given to us through Christ. We know that God is working all things together for good, even suffering. He's doing this. He's calling us. He's conforming us in this to the image of Christ. And I think that's why Paul says what he says in verse 18. In this I will rejoice. My suffering is taking my eyes off of me and turning me to Jesus. I am not trusting in my ability, in my comfort, in my pleasures. I am trusting in God's promises in Christ. All of our pleasures and all of our comforts here on earth are passing. We're passing. It's never going to be like it used to be. But one day it'll be greater than we can ever imagine in Christ. I don't want to look back and wish I, I was 21 again and felt good and didn't have any aches and pains and I, I'm tired of the suffering, I'm tired of the sore neck, I'm tired of this. I don't want to complain. I want to exult in what God is doing, even through my suffering, even through my neck ache and my back ache and my old age. I want to see that God may be using my perseverance because of His grace to reach others who are lost and need Christ. Let, let your suffering lead people to Jesus. To do that, you've, you've got to get your minds conformed to Christ. You've got to get your minds centered on Christ. We need to have our hearts and minds renewed daily. 
Be in the word and let the word reign in you supreme. Let's pray that that'll happen as we go through suffering. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us without your witness, without your spirit, without your word. Jesus, thank you that we have confidence, joyful confidence as we face suffering because you overcame ultimately our greater suffering. You overcame death for us. You overcame hell for us. So that though we suffer now, we will not suffer for eternity because of your suffering. For that, we want to praise you and thank you and rejoice in the midst of our suffering if it allows us to point people to your suffering, which accomplished our redemption and those who will hear the gospel and repent and believe. God, we pray that as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that our lives and our actions would be conformed to the image of Christ that we would entrust our souls to you and that we would find confidence in our suffering because of you. We know that you will use it. You will use it and it will not be wasted on those you have loved and called according to your purposes. Let Jesus be praised, I pray today. Amen.